we're going to get into uh, the third installment of Overcomers. And so we're going to be, as you guys know, we're trekking through uh, Ephesians. And so this week we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. So let's go ahead and stand and let's, uh, let's read God's word together here. Um, we are reading from the Christian Standard Bible. So let's stand and read in unison as God's people. One, two, three. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you received. Amen. Amen. So our tattoo, spiritual tattoo for today is that battle readiness must be built on gospel unity. Battle readiness must be built on gospel unity. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace you give us to come here. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in stirring uh, greater affections for you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you know how to make us battle ready, Lord, that we might live in a way that is daily and utterly dependent upon your strength. It's a strength that can't be compared with any other power or any other thing that we have uh, gravitated towards or gone to to find rest, to find peace, to find anything uh, that may be it. Why? Because you are ascended above all power. Anything that is named to try to make something happen, Jesus, you're far above that. And so today, Lord Jesus, I just pray that as we lift up the name of Yeshua Mashiach, of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, that you would draw many to you, that you would edify your church, that we would learn what this looks like to be a church plant, Lord, in our city that is actually learning how to pursue your purpose in our city for the good of all people. Lord, teach us to take your word seriously. Teach us to be not just hearers of the word that will just hear and not do and therefore deceiving ourselves. But Lord, may we be doers of your word. And so Lord, some of this might be a hard word today. Some of this might be some things that get up in our soul. But some of this is going to be incredibly encouraging and comforting. And Lord, may we receive it all. May we understand what it is that you're teaching and calling your church to be in this time. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, my rock, my refuge, our Lord, our God, in whom we hope. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so uh, when I think about this, uh, when you think about the concept of unity, what comes to your mind? Think about that in your mind for a second. When you think about unity, what comes to your mind? I guarantee that if everybody were to say what the version of unity is, it's probably going to be a lot of different versions of unity. Because unity, when you think about unity, unity, it, it, it will depend upon and be shaped by your background, your experiences, your understanding, your joys, your pains, your abuse, your victories. Unity is going to be shaped and fashioned by all of those things. So when we go around and we ask in L.A., we ask in our community, what's the greatest need? And someone says, few people say unity, their understanding of unity is one way. When someone else says unity, 
their understanding is different. And it's all who you ask. And it's based on their background and their experience. And so when we, when we think about the concept as Paul's going to lay out this concept of unity, I think it's interesting. We have to ask ourselves that question. What comes to my mind when I think about unity? And let's just let's make that clear. Put it up before the Lord. And then let's let, let Jesus begin to kind of work into that understanding of unity. Watch. It's, it could be on for some for some of us. Right. Unity is a lot of grace. And so what what if we have grace based unity and, and, and this is more like a greasy grace. Right. It's not really a biblical grace, but it's this kind of grace. It's those who just say, let's just move on. Let's just forgive. Uh, we end up uniting around the same ideology that caused the problem of disunity in the first place. So we say, uh, it's, can't we all just get along without addressing the problems? Right? It, if, for the believers, if Jesus paid it all, let's just say forgive, but that's it. Don't worry about justice. Don't worry about talking about honest conversations. That's, that's, that's this spectrum of unity. Let's just, let's just get along. The other side is all truth. And the other side says, I know, I know what has happened to me when I was young. I know what you did to me. I know what has been experienced. I know all these things, and I'm not even going to move towards grace and forgiveness. I am going to hold this against you for the rest of our life. Now, we, whether we say that or not, we can see it in how we interact with people like that person. The, those that, the, the trigger points that come up, right? That's a, so you have the truth side of unity. It's, I, I, can't, I can't move towards grace because I can't see beyond what has happened. Okay, So grace and truth. These are both d defining features of aspects of a pendulum of an understanding of unity. And I think it's interesting as we're going to look at these pendulum swings, we can be on either side... But as we're going to look at the concept of grace and truth together is what produces a type of unity that doesn't ignore, but it doesn't hold grudges. And what we're going to see is grace and truth are fully united in Jesus Christ. So we got to begin to expose, what is our understanding? Do I tend to be more on like a, great, uh, 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 a truth, true, true side, or am I more on the grace, grace, grace side? How do I understand unity? Right? And we need to understand this because what we're going to look at, what unity is actually displaying, if we don't begin to understand this properly, then we experience a lot of uh, a, a lack of being an overcoming community. All right. So here's the thing. Then you've got to ask another question. Not just uh, when you think about unity, what comes to your mind, but then you've got to ask, what's the purpose of unity? So you're saying, what is unity? But then we've got to ask ourselves the question, what's the purpose of unity? Why do we rally together? What's our aim? Right? And there's another thing. Based on how you live, grace or a form of truth, that then is going to define and be impacted by what you see your purpose to be. If your purpose in unity is to accomplish something specific, then you're going to align your understanding of unity based on that. Does that make sense? What is your purpose of unity? Because what your purpose is will then impact how you define unity, okay? And it's all de defined by a lot of our background and understanding. Is this making sense? Okay, so here's the thing. Unity, there's two things that we have to look at. Is unity must be built on grace and truth together, 
And unity also assumes community. Because sometimes unity can mean isolation. My, I'm, I'm going to unite over something to preserve myself. Okay? And just to protect and be comfortable so it assumes a sense of isolation. But here's the thing about this, what, what, why we have to go through this and what, what we're going to get into today. There are forms of unity that actually perpetuate demonic, fleshly, earthly activity rather than kingdom justice, righteousness that's holy, redeeming, and healing. So depending on how we understand unity, you may be, we'd be prone to be perpetuating a model that territorial spirits, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, that's why you got to be here, go listen to me, you haven't heard that one. That's perpetual. They perpetuate forms of isolation and leading people away from an understanding of unity that God designed. And so if we're not getting at what unity needs to look like, that's what we might be doing. And it could look good. But we have to understand what is God's understanding of unity or else we participate in what the enemy is doing in a lot of aspects. Okay, that's, that, that's just sober us up. Jesus is going to make this very clear and Paul lays this out because he's saying if you're going to be a kingdom community of overcomers that is pushing back darkness with the healing power of Jesus Christ, you have to understand what unity looked like. So here's what he says. Watch this. In Ephesus, let's go to look at some of the in, in Ephesus. So open your Bibles, get your stuff open. We're going to be kind of, kind of going through. I want you guys to sink your teeth into Ephesus. Okay, into, into what was going on there and what Paul speaks to in the book of Ephesians. Here's what he says. One of the key elements, as we talked about last week, is that union with Christ is a key theme in Ephesians. Union with Christ is key. In other words, he says in chapter 1 through 3, you remember what it is? We're living in our union with Christ. Who are we? Okay, chapter 1 through 3 is saying, who are we? Chapter 4 through 6 is living out our union with Christ, right? What are we to do? You catch that? And one through three is what? Living in our union. And four through six is living out our union. Are you, are you catching this? This is important for us, okay? So then chapter one, here's what he says in the summary of chapter one leading up to where we'll be in chapter four. Is he saying, look, the cosmic Christ is bringing everything under the footstool of Jesus Christ. So, so Jesus is not just saving individuals. Jesus is taking all of creation... And it's being placed under his footstool. Remember the memory verse in chapter 1 verse 10 says that everything is brought together in Christ. It's, it's united in Christ. Grace and truth. God is saying when everything was messed up, mankind was uniting around other things over and over. He says, I'm going to bring it under full grace and truth together so I have a dynamic expression of unity. So he's bringing everything under the footstool of Jesus to unite it based on grace and truth and what God is doing to bring unity to creation. Then he says, and he says look, towards the end of that, as we talked to last week, he gave Jesus to the church. The one who unites everything was given for the sake of the church. Why? Because it says, I got to give y'all what you need to embody and live out what I'm doing through my son. And then he goes on in chapter 2, he gets really specific and he says, look, and the way that he did it is he took a bunch of people that hated God, 
that were deceived, that were led astray. That chapter 2 says they were dead in their trespasses, right? According to their three things he hits up, which we're going to hit on next week. The flesh, the world, and the devil. Those three things are coming at them all the time. And guess what? They were bound to all three of those. And as a result of their binding, being bound to all three of those, they lived out unity based on their own understanding, which led to hurt, brokenness, isolation, division, pain, suffering, oppression. Can I keep going? You can list all the isms that happen, right? All that we talked about classism, by the way, that thing was gifted to us. That's all we had through Ritz Carlton. And we fell out of place. Right? Because you have isms, you have racism, you have classism, you have, you have different form of gender isms of not understanding what God designed. Like, we have all these kind of things, and you say, look, you used to walk in that, but when Jesus came, lived the life you could never live, died the death you deserve, resurrected on the third day, he brought you to be at peace with God. You have a relationship with the living God. And not only do you have a relationship with, one, with, with the living God, but with one another. You have, you used to be at odds with one another, Jews and Gentiles. Y'all had nothing to do with each other. And now through the peace of Jesus, you now are in the same body. That's like, that's like having, that's like adopting different people and different families coming from all over the place and learning to be a family. There's been a lot of movies made on that. Right? When you have different marriages coming together and people are like, they used to hate each other. And they're like, how the heck do we do this? How do we do life together? And he says, here's the thing. When Jesus did what he did, he, produ he produced a peace that we couldn't produce in relation to God. He produced a peace that we would never do in our own understanding. We would never hang out and spend time with people that were so different than us. And yet God is saying, look, Jews and Gentiles, I am making you into a new community. I am uniting you practically with one another from all different backgrounds based on grace and truth. You don't hide from the truth and you don't neglect grace. But in Jesus, that comes together and he brings a radically diverse group of people from all different backgrounds. And he says it's based on the peace of Jesus that that happens. And, and so he goes down, he says, he's creating a kind of unity to be put on display through his new community, the church. He's calling people from all different backgrounds and says, I'm going to place you in the same body. And we don't get to choose the body he places us in. We could choose our local church, but what Jesus is ultimately doing, and he's saying, the church at large, the big C, you guys are in the same body if you're really in Jesus. Right? We just watched a, a debate. A debate just happened. I'll be sending this out in Philly. And I think it was interesting talking about what that unity looks like and how we deal with in the past about when, when there is not a bearing of the fruit of the Spirit and unity, we had to really question, is that, is that the church? Is that, are those Jesus' people? Because what, what we're doing is not bearing the fruit of the gospel. Right? And it's real. And so Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to be my people, my new community. I've placed you in a body called the church. And so he says, and so the question is, why is this significant? Look at chapter 3. After he lays this out and says, church, the way you're to live as a new community is to display what I'm doing, uniting the cosmos, and I want, you to, I want it to be put on display through the church, right, and the way we're united. Now he says in chapter 3, look what he does. 
He says, Paul says, in light of all this, for this reason. Watch what Paul does. Get into that text. Chapter 3, verse 1, he starts to pray. And here's what the prayer gets picked up in verse 14. He says, for this reason, in light of this new community that, I'm, that is being formed to reflect true unity, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And he goes down and he uses the same word strengthened. Watch this. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be what? Strengthened. It's the same word as last week, chapter 1. With power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he goes on and says, I pray that you might, so that you might understand the depth of God's love. Because he knows when you grab a new community that has all different kinds of backgrounds, that has beef with God and one another, and now Jesus smashes that beef, places us in the same body, he knows, he says, I'm praying that you'll be doused with such a dope sense of God's love that you can actually practically live this thing out together. Think about that. He's getting in. I need to pray because it'll be impossible without this strength. And then he goes back. Watch what he does. Before he continues that prayer, he starts that prayer. He says, hold up. I got to say something real quick. It's kind of like when, when you pray at the table and the kid, you, your children start to talk and they interrupt. You're like, wait, what are you saying? Right? And you're trying to enter. It, it's this, uh, therefore, I'm praying, but he says, hold up. I'm not quite sure. I can imagine Paul saying, I'm not quite sure that you understand the significance of what's actually happening here. And he goes down and watch what he says. And he goes down in chapter 3 and he says, look, he says in, ch in chapter 3, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, and then he kind of gets into, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace he gave me to you. In other words, he says, look, the mystery is that the Gentiles now are actually a part of the body of Christ. You're going to be tempted, if you have a Jewish background, you're going to be tempted to say, no, they're not. Right, if you're a Gentile, you're going to basically be saying, I'm not worthy enough. But he said, no, 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 he said, hold up. The Gentiles are actually a part of the body of Christ. And I need y'all to understand that that happened based on the peace of Jesus. It happened based on what he did. And why is that important? Here's what he says. He says, look what else is significant. Verse 8. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. The riches of Christ can't be calculated. He says, what's going on here, what God is bringing together can be, not be accomplished by a human strategic plan. What God brings together in people that hated God and hated one another now have experienced the cleansing work of Jesus Christ are gathered together. He says, that doesn't happen with human calculation. Remember what I talked about. If it is not just a sociological issue... If the isms of the world aren't just sociological constructs, but indeed, as we see in Psalm 82, they are actually territorial spiritual, uh, Elohim spirits leading nations astray with people taking responsibility, then this thing is both a spiritual and a natural phenomenon. It's both. And I think we end up fighting them in a way that doesn't push back darkness. Our city, this is, our city is still so segregated. 
We're not dealing with it. Does that grieve you? As a church, I, I was up bugged with that yesterday after being and seeing things and, and, and spending some time. I, I just saw some different things and I'm like, golly, like this thing is crazy. Like this is, this is, this is not okay. And here's the thing. I think the enemy has such a stronghold in such a way where he says, if I could just keep the church separate and not talking about the issues. Because he knows what the church is to reflect. And if he could just keep the church segregated, doing their own things, not talking about stuff, staying in the same neighborhoods, not having conversation with each other. If he can do that, I'll tell you, he has made the church has become impotent with spiritual warfare. And then we would try to host these conferences, racial reconciliation, and this and that. And that's good. We need to. But what I'm telling you is we have to understand, first off, how cosmically significant we are about to talk about is. If we don't understand what is actually being set up, then we'll just live and be okay with it and just have our nice job and go into our areas of comfort. And I just want to make the American dream and I want to do this. And, you know, we'll do empower. We like it. I, you, you see, what all that kind of stuff, right? But what I'm saying is if we just live in that, if we don't know what's really going on, then I think we've missed it. Because here's what he says. Continue on. He says, the grace was given to me to proclaim that that's what's happening, the incalculable riches of Christ, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Here's the mystery. You ready? Verse 10. He did this. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through what? The church. God's multifaceted wisdom of bringing together a new community to unite the cosmos in God's purpose. And then he brings a whole bunch of different people that were us together in the same body. He says, look, that's God's mystery to show off his manifold wisdom through the church to who? The rulers and authorities in the heavens. There is something about God set up the church to be united in grace and truth in Jesus Christ, to deal honestly with stuff, to forgive, to do justly, and be God's people. Why? Because that shows all those principalities and powers and dominions. Jesus won. What? Does that make sense? It is, it is a redeemed punk of the heavenlies. Are y'all grasping this? He says, what you are, what I'm praying for. He says, before I pray for it, I want you to understand that what I'm about to tell you in chapter 4, you need to understand we don't take that lightly. Why? Because it's cosmic significance. Battle, the isms of the world is fought when the church begins to engage in Jesus Christ in union with him who is grace and truth to show up there those that will lead astray. You lost. Remember? Jesus disarmed you. And as a church, we remind you. And we're here to show that Jesus has won. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, see, I'd be up shouting and stuff right now. Dang it. Are y'all awake? Yeah? He's thinking about it? So now here's what he gets in. In chapter 4, 
he's getting into the nitty-gritty of applying this incredible truth. It's one thing to talk about it. And he says, this is who we are, but now how do you do it? How do you begin to do it? How do you begin to show that the greatest act of spiritual warfare is when we are living this truth out? That is the greatest act. Spiritual warfare, in other words, is a communal thrust. It was never intended to be an isolated individual thing. We don't stay home and watch our podcast and say, I'm going to put on the full armor. No, no, no. He says, you're missing the cosmic significance. Does this make sense? That's the thing I'm praying. Y'all know I'm a, we're going to be praying and fasting. I'm a, we're going to be doing this for unity. And we're going to be praying that God will open our eyes to actually what's happening here. When we isolate, when we stay alone, when we're saying, God, I just don't need to do this, we are actually allowing the enemy to get a, 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 uh, an impact and influence by bringing down the impact of the church visible. Do you understand that? You're a part of putting visible what God has done in the supernatural, and it impacts the natural when we actually engage this. Am I, am I making sense? And so, so I think here's where, in order to, to begin to break bondage in the battle, we need to first realize what it means to engage the call of every disciple in this. Look what he says. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. He says the first thing, there's three things we're going to hit on today. We have engage, the first one is we must be engaging unity. Look what he says. If we're going to apply this and live this out, he says we need to be engaging unity. Therefore I, he says in verse 1, the prisoner in the Lord urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. I, the prisoner of the Lord. It's interesting. Paul could have just said, therefore I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. But what does he put in there? Yeah. I, the prisoner of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? When you study Bible study, you want to notice things like that because he also says it in chapter 3. I, the, the prisoner of the Lord. And, and here's the thing. At the composition of this letter, Paul was in house arrest. Paul was actually in prison. But for Paul, that didn't surprise him. Watch, watch. if you remember back in Acts 19.15, here's what was, what was going to be Paul's reality. Here's what Anna, the Lord says to Ananias. He says, who's going to engage with Paul and, and pray for him and stuff. He says, go, Ananias, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He said, Paul wasn't surprised. He says, I, I'm a prisoner in the Lord, and I'm urging you. See, for Paul, this concept of suffering in prison was actually a part of his call. Isn't that interesting? He knew his call. He knew what union with Jesus meant. It meant suffering. So when he's preaching the gospel and he's preaching this unity, right, you can expect that he's preaching this unity that is going to show and put on display that Jesus is one. He expects hostile forces to come after him. Why? Because Jesus told us to expect it. And it's not just a human understanding, but it's because there's forces that in the unseen realm that don't want Jesus' glory to go forward. But they're already lost. So we draw on his strength. So Paul knew this. He says, look, this is, this is part of Paul's understanding of union with Christ. Paul doesn't just seem, see his imprisonment as an accident. Or something that, oh man, that shouldn't have happened. Let me try to meander my way through this. No, no, no. Paul understand his imprisonment 
to be a part of his union. So in other words, he wasn't just a prisoner in house arrest. He says, I'm a prisoner in the Lord. In the sphere of my union with the Lord, I'm a prisoner. He, he saw what union with Christ was, was far above any natural situation. And he said, in other words, he's saying, look, I'm going all the way in my union with Christ. I'm, I'm not falling short. Look, if, if Jesus said, I'm going to suffer for his name's sake, I'm not going to be like, okay, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, if I could just compromise or, or say this differently, maybe I'll keep my job if they're hostile. If, if I could just compromise what you're calling me to do in this, then maybe I'll get an exaltation in, in, in the job place. If I just can come and, and so all the time we are going to be tempted to say, will you go all the way in your union with, with Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to walk with Jesus in our city? What does compromise look like for each of you? What does it look like for me? And what is God calling to say, will you go all the way in your union? Paul says, I did. And here's the thing. Paul says, I believe he says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, and then he goes on, urge you, it's because he says, I got street cred in what I'm about to tell you. I'm about to, here's what he says. He says, I'm telling you, as one who is living this thing out, I'm telling you, as one who's not just talking about it, but I'm being about this union with Christ. He said, I got, I got some spiritual credibility. And here, because here's what he says, I'm about to tell you to go further in your union with Christ. Will you go all the way? Look what he says. I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. Are you going all the way with your union? He says, because union in this, walking consistent with the calling you've received, means that you start to live out unity the way God intended. Jews and Gentiles from all different backgrounds, whether we, whether we had beef with each other, we didn't, God is saying, I'm bringing y'all together. He says, are you going to live a life worthy of that unity? And he says, so Paul is saying, look, I'm going to live this thing out, and now I'm urging you. In other words, Paul was modeling this. So for us, I think one of the elements, if we're going to go out and teaching on spiritual warfare, here's the question I have to ask us. How are we doing of living out this unity as a diverse church. How are we doing? I think God has been so gracious to bring people from all different walks of life together. And I want to encourage you to say what we are engaging in in Jesus and seeking to go all the way in our union is putting something on display that the enemy doesn't like. So by you jumping in, I'm just telling you, by you jumping into a church plant, but you jumping into a church plant that God is bringing this kind of unity together, I'm just telling you, we're going to get battle ready because I'm telling you, the enemy's coming after you. That's why you draw your strength. He's already defeated. But I need you to know that the significance of enduring in it has so, it, it far exceeds any limited thing that we can make sense in our mind by just compromising. What you, what we are engaged in right now as a church plant is putting this on display in chapter 3. Do you see that? That's why it's so hard. That's why the enemy, if he could just keep us from talking about the stuff, that he's won some battles. 
But the fight is already fixed. So he's saying, he's saying, I'm urging you now. I'm urging you to do this. It's kind of like Paul, as he's modeling it, he's saying, look, it's not always comfortable, preferential to do this. But it's union with Christ. He says, will you go all the way in this unity? Will you go all the way in your union to live out this unity together? Because your life reflects what happens in union with Christ in creating a new community. It's like this. Imagine this. Um, Nipsey Hussle, it's, it's interesting. After Nipsey was shot, was murdered, um, even afterwards you're having posters going up. Still to this day, there's posters still going up. Y'all seen that? New murals that are being painted. There's something that's interesting where a community, not just locally but globally, rallies around what Nipsey Hussle was about. Here's the thing. He was about, he wasn't just someone that was talking about it. He wasn't just bumping his gums and his music about what needs to happen or we should do this. But he was actually about it. He was about economic development. He was about justice. He wasn't just saying, I got the money, I'm going to dip out. I'm going to come back into where I grew up, and I'm going to see blocks bought up. I'm going to see empowerment. See, and that's interesting because Nipsey, he had like, he had one huge victory lap. But the other stuff was there. But he wasn't as big as some of the artists. But when, he, when people saw that he wasn't just talking about stuff, but he was being about it, when he died, the globe gathered around him. Because he wasn't just what? He wasn't just talking about it. He was being about it. Church, imagine if we are the united people that deal with grace and truth and union in Christ properly. Imagine if we weren't just talking about it, but we were actually going all the way in our union with Jesus and being about it. What would that put on display? We serve the king who is above all power and authority. Imagine if the church actually went all the way in our union with Christ and lived out this unity. What would that show off? Gosh, yes. It'd be incredible. And I think that's what, that's, what, that's what we pray for. That's what Paul is like. That's what you're about. Will you go all the way in your union or will you just be talking on wax all the time? Church, will we be about this? Or will we let the unity we have become something that is just my understanding where Jesus, you can be Savior, but let me be Lord. <laughs> And I call the shots of how we show off your glory. No, church, we don't show, we don't call the shots. King Yeshua does. Since he calls the shots, we submit to him and say, Jesus, I want you to get maximum glory. Then go all the way in your union with Christ. And this is what he, he, he continues on with this and he goes, I want you all to reflect. And, and so a question is, are we going all the way in teaching how we live out true unity? Are we beginning to understand God's passion for the unity of the church to be his visible witness to his victory? I think we're more, I think we're so much more concerned about advancing our victory. God, if I could just get my resume up, if I could, and here's what happens. Here's how we shape our lives. God, if I can rig my life around ensuring that my victory happens, I'll give you a little bit. God, if you make me successful, then I'll go to church. God, if you make me successful, if you get me out of this, then I'll do this. And we, we start bargaining with God, and all of a sudden, it's indicative. If you're not in unity working this out together practically, 
be careful that you may not be going full union with, in your discipleship with Jesus. If, if there's like, God, love me, I, I want to pursue victory here, but it's independent of how it's to be put on display through the church. And I'm not just talking about when we gather on Sunday. I'm talking about a gathered and scattered community that is actually doing functional life together. And we take it seriously. I think a question is a spiritual warfare. Paul's got to ask, do you take unity and working this out as the church seriously? Because if we don't take it seriously, we're not going to put on display the supremacy of Christ in all things. And I want to encourage us with that is there's, there's two simple ways we can often stop short is we stay with people who are only like us on the natural realm or we're not functionally engaging the local church. That's something we got we to sit on that because this is bigger than my individual Christian walk. This is about Jesus' victory put on display to the dominions that want to keep God's people down. I love how Jesus doesn't just call us to live out unity, but he also empowers us. Look what he does. This is beautiful. Look at verse 2. He says, I want you to, I'm urging you, I'm, 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 I'm urging you, I'm imploring you to live worthy of the, the calling. Then he says, watch, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Right, this is where he begins to get real, real simple with it. Think about this. When he hears, when he tells them, I want you to do this, and the way you're going to be able to do this is with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Think about the context. Think about what's going on during this time. What does this, what does this have on the impact of the people? The Gentiles were viewed as dogs. Jew, Jews were seen as those who mutilated themselves and emasculated themselves by being circumcised. The Jews and Gentiles were completely different backgrounds. Here's the thing. You know how it is when two different people come together, the ideas that were their normal way of life all of a sudden become the only way of life. Okay, what's normal to me when I come together with someone that's different than me, what happens? That becomes the, the, the only way of life. Not the normal for me, it becomes the only way of life. And if you don't do it exactly like this, then I can't bother with you. Okay, so he goes, he says, look, he says, that's, that's the context. So Paul says, I know this is not going to be easy, Jews and Gentiles. I know this is going to be rugged. I know you're going to rub one another wrong at different times. And here's the thing. He knows that if union with Christ is calling toward this, if you believe, which the scripture teaches, that union with Christ is calling us towards this calling of unity, the union with Christ will also provide what is needed to work this out, is where it gets to the good news. Watch this, he says, he says, uh, in humility, first off, he says, you guys need to approach this in humility. It's going to get tough. You're going to go on each other's nerves. You're not going to understand one another. You're going to say something that's going to rub someone wrong. It's already happened, right? Has anybody rubbed you wrong in the church so far? No? Okay, please. Yes, amen. Okay, we're not a perfect church. But here's the thing. Paul is saying, I know y'all from all different backgrounds, and you can get each other's last nerve. Right? You're going to bug each other. He says, but here's the thing. Since Christ is calling you to this unity in union with him, he's saying, let me invite you in some of the character qualities that Christ displayed, and I want you to access those through faith and put them on display through Christ's strength. 
Ready? He says humility. This is the disposition of valuing or assessing one another, oneself appropriately. In other words, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Right? It's not thinking less of yourself. You don't think, oh, I'm horrible, I'm a worm, I'm, I'm righteous, all this kind of stuff. In the flesh, yes, you are. But it's not thinking, it's not thinking less of self. So it's not like, you, you see what I'm saying? But here's what it is. Humility is thinking of self less. So it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility comes from a place of not insecurity. If you're insecurity, it's impossible to be humble because you're always thinking about yourself. But if you're finding contentment in union with Christ, then you can be secure enough to say, I don't have to think about everything about my life because I'm already taken care of. And when I think about someone else, Philippians 2, as more significant than myself, then what happens? Someone else is taken care of. But if everybody's doing that, what's going on? Everybody's considering other people. And everybody's need is being met. And everybody is growing. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. We don't come in to receive and consume. We come out of a sufficiency of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus to give. And if everybody is giving like that and actually doing life together, then guess what happens? The church actually grows. That's what he says later on in chapter 4. Every member is to do its part. But in order to do its part, we've got to find a satisfaction in Jesus and his death and resurrection. And he says, so humility, because here's what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Jesus doesn't just call us into us, but Jesus says, I myself am humble in, in heart. Right? He says, uh, he says uh, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take on my yoke, because I'm, I'm humble of heart. Right? You, you, can, you can be with me. I've exhibited humility. And when you're satisfied in me, guess what? You can as well. And then he goes on, not just with humility, not just when you're in conversations thinking about others as more significant of how do I help this person? How can I serve? How can I be present? How can I listen? Right? But it's also gentleness. He says with gentleness, which is gentle, mild, even-tempered. Gosh, that's hard. When someone gets on, when, when a trigger gets pressed in you and a button gets pressed, how hard is it, is it to actually be gentle? <laughs> right? It's like, no, I'm about to cut you off. You did, me, you did me wrong once, okay, I got it, but twice, oof, I'm done with you, right? And Jesus says, I'm so glad. Aren't y'all glad that God didn't do that with us? Oh, wait, you sinned against me twice? Oh, psh, you out, gone. You're going to the lake of fire. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't do that, right? If Jesus embodied that, the way to embody it is spend union with him and go all the way because if he calls us to this type of unity, he's like, I'm going to supply everything you need. So start to be, he says, he says, so continue to, to endure. Then he says, but with patience, right? Which is patient endurance of pain or unhappiness. And so there's this patience of what we said, long suffering. Can that be long suffering? But here's another one he says, bearing with one another in love. This concept is to endure something unpleasant or difficult, whether on one's own behalf or behalf of someone else. In other words, it's, this, it's the love there that he talks about is a sacrificial agape love. Am I willing to live sacrificially where it might be me oftentimes dying to myself and my preferences in order to learn what unity really looks like when culture is redeemed and refined? And we begin to see a, a kaleidoscope 
of different people that are learning to work this out. And it's not a dominant people saying you have to be submissive. It is let's submit to God's word and let's let him refine. But we need to bear with one another through that process in order to do that. And, and it's important for us to do that because it's going to get difficult. I remember, I remember Fatima and I, we... Um, we kind of, we've learned just to talk things out. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but we don't fight. We don't, like, yell at each other. Um, but I remember before we got married, we did do some of that. <laughs> and I remember one conversation we were having. And this is on the phone, so it made it that much more difficult. And so as we're having this conversation, we're going, we're going back and forth. And this is in kind of our dating phase. And, and it was our first disagreement. And it was a conversation about what are we going to do with the kids? What's better? Do we do daycare or we do at home? Or do we put them somewhere? Where do we put the kids, right? And so we had this heated conversation. Why? Because we're so different. She, I'm from the West. She's from the South with a mom from the East Coast in Philly. We're so different. We grew up with different dynamics. We grew up in, in a whole bunch. I'm white, as you see. She's black. Like, we're, we're so different. So we came to this conversation, and we started arguing about because we had our both our normal, but when we got in that conversation, we were both right, right? We were both right. Like, no, 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 it needs to happen this way. And I was, no, 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 it needs to happen this way. No, no, but you're insulting me when we do that. I'm not trying to insult you, but this is a better way of doing it, right? Like, so we're going back and forth at this. And here's the interesting thing about this dynamic is, is it would have been tempted if we didn't have a commitment to going all the way in our relationship, we would have dipped out after that conversation. I'm done with you. <laughs> but here's the thing about this. What God has produced in the marital union of our life came from those hard conversations of valuing one another, esteeming one another as more significant, growing in our understanding of security in Jesus, and having some doggone hard conversations to work out what God produced and we're celebrating 10 years later. Amen. Imagine what, what I want to see Epiphany LA in 10 years from now is people from all different walks of life, leaders from all different walks of life, showing off the glory of what does unity look like when Jesus doesn't say don't ignore your differences, don't ignore the past, but deal with grace and truth in Christ to bring a people. So when we're celebrating 10 years, we pray by God's grace that, this will, that the church will be full of that dynamic and we celebrate the same way that Fatima and I are celebrating. Why? Because we went there with the conversations with commitments. Church, can we go there with the conversation? Y'all been doing a good job. We've been having some hard conversations in life communities and sidebar conversations and all that. But I'm just encouraging you is that if we don't, if not armed with the character of Christ, with humility, with gentleness, rely upon him, depend upon his strength to display this character so we can actually grow into what God is calling Epiphany LA to grow into. We're in the, we just planted and we're kind of like in the, uh, we're in the, like just learning how to, like Carmela, like we, we crawled for a while and now we're learning to get on the couch and hold up. You know, I remember Silas was just doing that. He's already walking. I'm like, how did I do walking to children's by himself? But he, you, we try to pull ourselves up. And this is kind of where we're at as a church. We're learning more about each other. 
We're learning what God wants to show up. We're beginning to assess what are some of the spiritual strongholds. We're beginning to understand what does it look like to show up Jesus' victory. And as we grow, endure in Christ's character so that we might grow into a marathon running church. But it's going to take some hard conversations and it's going to take the character of Christ and God is going to produce something so much greater than potentially some of the preferences that you put on hold. God will produce something so much greater, not for our sake, but for his sake. Because unity, the purpose of unity is to show off his redemption, okay, his victory. And he finalizes with this. He says, and make every effort. He says, as you're living in this character quality, he says, be making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's interesting. I love this concept of eager and to maintain. Be eager to maintain their boast in the present, which is a continual activity. This needs to be a part of your normal rhythm, right? See the calling. Go all the way there. Rest and, and imitate Christ's character and his strength. And then he says... I want you to continue to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I want you to be eager. So here's what, I love what, what, what Barth says this. He says this, not only is this a haste and passion to do this, when he says to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, he says, but a full effort of the whole man and woman is meant, involving their will, the sentiment, the whole attitude, the imperative mood of the participle excludes passivity, quietism, and wait-and-see attitude. He says, when he says, I want you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, I need you to know that each and every one of us have a key role in being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. He says, it's not okay, literally, it's not biblically okay to sit back and say, I'm not going to go all the way in this union. If you do that, and when you do that, you're in sin. Can I call it out? I've been there. I've needed to repent. Every moment by moment, if we're saying, I'm not going to pursue this understanding of unity in different levels, we're in sin. It's going to make it plain. It's what the Bible says. And he goes on, he says, so Barth also says this. He says, look, yours is the initiative. Do it now. That's a better translation. Don't just be eager, but do it now. Don't delay any longer. That hard conversation that you need to have, do it now. That getting into a context of community where you can actually live this out, do it now. Do it now, church, because what God wants to do is so much bigger than what we can see. And he gives us a glimpse of it. And he says, so, so our role is to preserve, to, to take what Jesus has brought together and saying, my goal is to guard this, to preserve this. I need to be about maintaining the unity that Jesus has created. The question is, are we guarding the unity that God has created in Christ? Are we being eager and watchful of saying, oh, that could be a schism. Oh, that could be 
putting aside, ooh, gossip and slander. That's why he's so passionate about renouncing gossip and slander because that is one of the most underhanded ways that Jesus says the enemy is going to try to attack and he does it through his people. So he says, are we maintaining the unity of the spirits in the bond of peace? So he says there's an eagerness to being watchful to this type of unity. Here's what he says. He says, he says this kind of unity is a unity the spirit produces. That's what needs to be maintained more than in a unity of our preferences. Do you see that? He says the unity of the spirit. He says, so you need to be passionate about guarding the unity that the spirit produced. And that means that sometimes I'm going to have to die to these preferences in order to maintain this unity. Does that make sense? These are, these are long conversations, right? So we'll flesh this out in life communities, right? But he says, it is, is we have to uh, begin to understand that it can't be unity of our preferences. It can't be unity of our pride. It can't be unity of our self-sufficiency. It can't be unity of our ideologies. And it can't be unity of the ease, of li- ease and comfort of life. It can't be that unity. It's got to be the unity that Spirit is bringing together among the church. Is what he says. It's, this, he says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, what? What's the text say? Through the bond of peace. Maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. See, going back to chapter 2, the bond of peace comes through Jesus' work on the cross. He brings together a people by the Holy Spirit, one to be at peace with God through faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. But then he brings us into the same body. And he says, I need you to maintain that unity that the spirit has produced. What? In the bond of peace. In what Jesus has done. Here, let me give you an example. It's kind of like this. Let me take this here. He says, look, these are all the different things in your life. you got marriage workshops. you got blank pieces of paper you're trying to be creative on. you got all your worries, all your concerns. Everything in life is up in this pile, right? Now, here's the thing. He says, look, the way that this is united and kept together, the way God intended, is through this paper clip or whatever this thing is called, big paper clip, is the bond of peace. He says, look, it's the peace that Jesus produced in chapter 2 that actually binds unity together. Okay? Here's the thing. Our uh, temptation and tendency is to take something other than the peace of Jesus to try to be the thing that clamps unity together. And it tries to clamp identity together. And then all of a sudden, before we do it, here's, what, here's, here's what's happening, going back to this. We're saying that we're going we're gonna to hold unity together through our preferences. So I'm just going to go and unite with people that have the same preference and an agenda as me. Or it's the unity of our self-sufficiency. I don't need anybody else, so I'm going to unite over that understanding. Or the unity of our ideologies of comfort and ease. Or even the unity of our pride. Anything, when we go like that, we're like this. These kind of things now are the unity. This is what we're using to bind unity together. And what happens when I let go of putting this on? When we let anything other than the peace of Christ bind us together, that's what happens. Things fall apart. Now from up here in this perspective, I'm like, some unity that was. I wonder what they used. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to show off a perspective 
of a united purpose, what Jesus calls us to be and show off, you have to let the, the peace of Jesus bind and clamp unity together. So when it comes down to it, what does it look like for Jesus to bind us together? What does it look like for Jesus to give us an identity in such a way where we say, you're in Christ more my family than someone that has a preference or affiliation with me that doesn't know Jesus? And my temptation is when my family member here in Christ gets on my nerves, what's going to be my temptation? I'm going to run back and use this preference or affinity or identity to clamp my understanding of unity together. I need to bring unity to my life. I'm wondering what unity is. Well, I'm going to come over here and do it with this. And what we're doing at that moment is we have, we're not guarding the unity of the spirit because we're saying, I can find unity in my life over here. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. When your family in Christ gets on your nerves, you better understand the bond of peace that Jesus brought you together and let him determine how you do life together. And that's the type of thing, clamp, that God is calling us a church to do. Because when we do that, y'all, when we put the clamp on in the proper way, then it shows off to those watching that Jesus has won. That's how you begin to walk as an overcomer, is we do it together. It's not individual. It's not isolated but it's based on the, the, the power and the bond of peace to which Jesus calls us to maintain unity.